Hey guys, uh, Riley here. Uh, do you guys miss the old elaborate intros? I know we're only 12 weeks into it, but uh, those old ones were good. And um, we've only kind of stopped them because, um, you know, it normally I have to turn around these episodes in about a day or two. And it takes me mm, probably three days of just hating myself to get up the courage to sing. Uh, and then auto-tune or uh, auto-tune it to crap and then uh, slow it down. And then I shouldn't reveal all my secrets. Anyways, um, we might bring it back because I could probably sit down for a day and just do it because we've got like the next four or five uh, weeks planned out. And uh, it's getting to be exciting times around here at Stonehall Sessions as all you Stoshers, which is the name I want I want you guys to call yourselves out, out, outdoors when, when you meet someone else who you think might also listen to Stonehall Sessions, you go, hey, Stosher. And they'll, they'll give you the same sign back. Um, it, on the Reddit, we'll, we'll put up instructions for the handshake. Uh, it's, a, it's a very complex read. And um, I can't think of a better way to start up this next exciting time than with uh, the peptides. And we had three of them in. We had Claude, we had Rebecca, we had Scott come in. And they're just a third of the non-tet that makes up... Non-et. Non-et. That make up... Um, the peptides, and they came in, and before we'd really spoken about anything, so the way the the way the show normally works is everybody comes in, uh, we loosen up for 40, for about 45 minutes just talking back and forth, then we get the mics ready, then it's, oh, you guys released now, blah, 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 oh my god, that's so crazy, uh, how do you uh, transfer to a live setting, oh, that's so cool, uh, Phil Collins or Peter Gabriel, um, and then everybody says, wow, that was really great, uh, at least to my face. And then they do their two or three songs. We edit it in throughout the podcast, just sort of sprinkle it in um, so that you guys have an idea about what um, the band sounds like. But with the peptides, they came in and they just sort of set up before we'd really spoken at all. They did like they just launched into a whole hour worth of music and it was crazy. It was three of them. But I thought I was going to get a noise complaint because they were just so loud and energetic and ugh, vivacious. It was crazy. And then, uh, and then we sat down, and it was—it was like it's like we already knew them because we just had a private concert for an hour in my place. And um, oh, it was—it was so much fun. Um, I mean, if you haven't heard of the peptides, they are—they're uh, tough to pin down—they're uh, tough to pin down thematically, and I. I think that's the way they like it. They're, they're genre hoppers. They go uh, from one sound to another to another to whatever suits the song and whatever suits. And, uh, and their songs are all pretty funny. Um, and they were like, um, if, you, if you like the Vinyl Cafe, which obviously don't listen to radio, only listen to podcasts, specifically this one. Um, but if you have to, Vinyl Cafe is pretty good. They did uh, the Revenge of the Vinyl Cafe album with Stuart McLean. Um, and uh, then, so we talked to them, not about that album, but about uh, uh, Love Question Mark. And um, yeah, tough to pin down. It seems like they really love what they do. And it was just uh, a real fun time. And um, yeah, so without, I guess, further ado, here is episode 12, The Peptides. have no chance in life don't even try it don't even try it so 
much for slaving The rules were made by Had the, at its core, was it always this 
and I hate this word, and I'm only going to use it once because I feel like it's not doing justice to it, but it's something that you guys are going to get called, or you guys have been called, theatrical. Was there always that theatrical element built in when it was just the peptide before? I'm not sure. You mean before all the crazy like ladies showed up? when you were by yourself, up? yeah. All the drama queens showed up. <laughs> drama queens? Um, well, the first albums were folk-based. There's always a little drama when someone's sad in a song, right? But it wasn't theatrical. I feel like yeah. I feel like when Didi joined, like when you guys put out for those who hate human interaction, I yeah. remember listening to that album and thinking like, wow, this sounds like the soundtrack from Oliver Twist. And this yeah. sounds like The Wizard of Oz. And then suddenly, you know, this is a total rock song and this is a total jazz song. And it was just like, the, yeah, there were definitely a couple songs where I listened and I could see them on stage. I could see the characters singing to each other. Like you had some love songs where yeah. you guys were actually singing to each other. And it was like a conversation. So how can that not be theatrical? Mm -hmm. And then if you look on the back of that CD, the, the track listing is organized into Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3, mm -hmm. each with its own sort of act overture and act finale in a sense. So, I mean, it's sort of built into it a little bit. But again, that is the fourth album. Uh, the first three were quite folky, as Claude said. So, no, not always, not always <laughs> theatrical, but have, yes, has become a little yeah, theatrical, but... It's become theatrical. What's great about recording at home... And is that uh, you can take the time to just explore, right? Mm -hmm. uh, once you you know your you know, the system you have, my laptop <laughs> and the programs, and uh, yeah, you can instead of spending like at one point we had gotten in touch with the uh, NAC Orchestra to collaborate yeah, for the Peptissimo project. Right. And that would have cost us $60,000. So instead of spending that money, you figure out how can I do that in my bedroom, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you start sampling violins here and trumpet parts there and little orchestral suites here and making your own melody. Um, yeah, that was a, so fun to do. I feel like the orchestral sound really lends itself also to theater. Cause, I mean, when you go and see like a Broadway show, there's, yeah. there's usually always an orchestra. Um, but one thing that I was just thinking was also it's our costumes. We oh, costume on stage. And so a lot of people will look at that and go, oh, they're wearing costumes. This must be a play. I mean, for me, I feel like when you're performing, whether it's drama or music, you should you should take into consideration what you look like because people listen with their eyes. <laughs> and so, yes, we're like It shows in your videos as well. I mean, yeah, exactly. Costumes. Choreo costume, that whole thing. So yeah, it does. there are a couple uh, qualities that you would also find in a musical theater in our show. But I, I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't describe it as theatrical anymore. Yeah. Well, and I think there are also really certain features that arise out of the inefficiencies and Fans of your podcast who are fans of Jane Jacobs will know that she actually praises inefficiency. Um, with this is respect. Shout with out respect to you, to, mom. To yeah, <laughs> to city planning. But 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 really, I'm. You have to work with me on this metaphor here. All right, um, let's go. So like, I'm. You know, you got a dude who's a front man and like he plays the guitar and he does the super high stuff and then he. But he's playing and singing at the same time and really um, giving those both to the audience um in the per in one person whereas in our band we don't have any vocalists who don't play and we don't have any players who vocalize so sorry let me say that again we all the singers <laughs> sing only and all the instrumentalists play instruments only but there's no crossover so what that that inefficiency brings out this really like neat specialization that the singers have of 
like their vocal musicianship, but also their visual showmanship. Yeah, you which don't I think have a makes a show you really special. Vocalists up front, you yeah. can't just stand there and no. not do not entertain. Yeah, and you so, can't do the Miles Davis thing of just turning around and being like, oh, "Whatever, I'm done for a little bit." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Try> to, <laughs> no, you can't. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we don't do that. So let's uh, let's get into 2014. You guys are writing this album. Um, what goes into how do you guys start a song? Do you guys start a song at this point as a non-tet? <laughs> Nonet. Nonet. <laughs> uh, no. The answer for that album is is not quite. Which How, album is that? He's talking love about question mark. Oh, yeah. look, question mark. <laughs> yeah. There's so many albums we can't keep track. <laughs> We're not talking about the folk shit anymore. <laughs> uh, well, love question mark. Yeah. Thirty one songs. I think all but one have love in the title of them. Um, and that one's French. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, right. Because <laughs> I love you. Huh? Isn't there one, the spy something? Or maybe that was... Love spy? Oh, fuck. Uh, <laughs> I, I made sure every title had love Yeah, we, we checked. Yeah. yeah. Doctor's orders. <laughs> More love. Um, so 31 songs, all about love. How does that... What's the, what's the germ of that? You can't understand that album without first understanding the hate album. Right. That's so true, Scott. So originally I had planned right, actually right after recording For Those Who Hate, I went right into recording Love Question Mark. And then we got a little sidetracked with uh, Revenge of Vinyl Cafe. Uh, Do you want to introduce what the germ of that is? Well, we'll we'll sidetrack you right now for the real experience. (laughs) Oh, wait, don't. Let's go. Um, But yes, so while, while... Love question mark was in the course of being produced, kind of with the same same method as uh, for those who hate human interaction. Um, we got this commission for a song from uh, from Stuart McLean from CBC Radio One, and um, he wanted a a song to promote his upcoming uh, anthology of short stories called Revenge of the Vinyl Cafe. So we thought, well, you know, we could send him one, but we in, instead of just just doing the bare minimum, we decided to write a, a song for every story in the book, which ended up being 19 songs. And that was um, a different process than than had been used for the Hate album. It was very much jamming in the studio, uh, people recording sketches on their iPhones, bringing it to the group later on, some writing poetry, some, some sampling on their computers. So it's a very diverse offering um, that differs slightly from what you would hear on For Those Who Hate and Love Question Mark. Yeah. Back so- to you. Close. Well, so yeah, the band was much more involved for for that. Even you, Becky, wrote some lyrics for one of the songs. So and I'm just going to interject here. And yeah, just go mention ahead. That. So the Revenge of Vinyl Cafe features all the instrumentalists as well. So that was truly collaboration with the entire band. Uh, whereas Love Question Mark features all the singers, but we're singing over top of yeah. I went back to my bedroom basically that had created. finished the album. Yeah. So how does that start? Well, you go I done an album about hate might as well do love now and uh (laughs) (laughs) so what follows love then what's what's next lust (laughs) well death well yeah hate hate and love were interrupted by revenge (laughs) 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 yeah so we're thinking of filth next no we don't know right (laughs) um so well you know as a songwriter i 
I'm always inspired by how people interpret big ideas like that lyrically. You know, once you have your your melody, a good melody, you go, okay, how what how can I talk about love in 31 songs without boring anyone, right? <laughs> so Was the intent always 31 songs? Pardon me? Was the intent always 31 songs? No, no, no. Actually there was 40 some, but we, we narrowed it down. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the football team with the cuts, right? They yeah. were sort of, <laughs> right. take a knee, boys. <laughs> 200 of you here now, only 100 over being in a week. Yes. Yeah. Were you yeah. just playing to overwhelm anybody who had really bought into your hate album? And just be like, no, there's too much love in the world. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, along with love, there again, you know, you go, you have a subject matter of love. You go, love isn't just love by itself. There's jealous love. There's hate love. There's revenge love, commercialized love, religion love, drug love, uh, chemical love. So, yeah, it was, again, an opportunity to figure out all these different aspects I could. uh, And, you know, again, it's lyrically you go, how can I be clever here and not bothering? Claude doesn't have to try very hard to be clever. (laughs) Well, and I I think sort of my take on it, just because I know you so well now, um, is that Claude is very good at finishing things. A lot of people, I'm very good at starting things, but not so good at finishing them. But Claude, when he gets an idea in his head, he'll take it to the end, right? So for the end of his exploration of love just happened to be 45 different uh, conjugations of love, if you will. Um, and so once that was complete, then it was the project was done, very clear. We do the cuts, we mix the album, and and then we have it, you know? Yeah. And then once again, we were in the position of, like, when we got the band together for the, for the For Those Who Hate and Jazz Festival, we get the band together. How do we reinterpret these songs with the band now? Now that Claude did this in his bedroom, how do we, how, what do you do on your keyboard? Uh, completely arrange the songs. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I love that. I, I'm, I prefer finding a new sound with the band rather than being a stickler and going, no, no, that's not how it sounded on the album. So we need that xylophone. Which resulted in, (laughs) which resulted in, like, our live sound being very different from our recorded sound. Mm-hmm. So people who had found us online and, and learned to, you know, listen to the recordings were in for a serious surprise when they see <laughs> us live. <laughs> yeah. But we have a solution for that, which uh-huh. is our next album. Oh, we finally, right. finally, the, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> finally, the band has caught up to my prolific songwriting and recording. And uh, we're, we're actually, the band has actually recorded the songs we do live in a studio. We're doing like a best of, yeah. uh, of you know, like take all those 70 whatever songs that you've... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and we're recording the best of with everyone. Yeah. Just got the masters yesterday, actually. Oh, wow. nice. Yeah. They, sound, they sound awesome. Yeah, it's good. And like an, another feature of that, that um, so, you know, as Becky was maybe saying before, like a lot of bands um, start in the garage and move to the studio. But in our case, the band started in the studio and moved to the garage in the sense that, you know, these studio albums existed of clothes. And then then only after that did did the garage band part of it come about. Um, similarly. Um, yeah. So, s- similarly, uh, well, I guess not similarly, but an important thing to realize about these songs is that 
we yeah we start with the arrangements on the recordings and then only after that does the live arrangement come about so so a, a lot of bands will um the recorded version will be a distillation of what they've been jamming on but in this case the jam is a distillation of what we've already recorded so those are two ways in which we kind of work a little against the norm mind fuck yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> You wanted some swearing on your show, no? Yeah. We did. Yes, yeah. please. We, we don't actually swear Born in that the podcast. That's why he invited us. Boy, <laughs> <laughs> fuck. Yeah. Rebring that uh, yeah. cowboy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I mean, it, also there's like, in, an oral tradition with it, with respect to the vocal arrangements because we have five singers, right? We we actually literally sit around in circles, singing ah 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 exactly ah ah oh yeah exactly nice. uh and need another yeah. <laughs> and uh you know decide on what actually works and then and then once that's determined it's recorded on iphones and memorized very much in in a, an oral tradition kind of way instead of a written tradition kind of way so it's very 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 organic now how often are you all nine of you able to get together and like jam and practice shit because I know, like some of you here in Ottawa, some like uh, Alexander's in Toronto, from what I've heard. And, I'd say uh, we average like maybe twice a month. When that's we've got good. when that's we've really got a good. gig coming up, we will make a special effort to get everyone in the room at least twice. Yeah, but it's not a weekly thing, no. Yeah, and then there's a bit of um, dividing and conquering. For example, like sectionals for the singers and sectionals for the band. And then, uh, so, you know, a rehearsal of four, a rehearsal of five. And then when the groups are finished working on stuff, then we'll bring the nine together. Is there ever, has there ever been anything that you guys just can't all agree on? You just say, fuck this, scrap it, like, let's not even do it. Or do you always find a way to, like, say, outvote each other and say, no, I five feel to four, like, we're doing this. I feel like our band is made up of some stronger opinions mixed in with some less strong opinions or maybe people who just don't really there are people who really really you know they'll have an idea and they really really want to fight for it and they and they you know and so they'll stick with it and then there's other people who are like maybe less you know inclined to like really hammer it home and or or you know more willing to compromise and so I feel like at the end of the day, uh, we won't really move forward with a decision until everyone, maybe not everyone completely agrees with it, but everyone's okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Consensus or consensus enough you yeah. know, is how it, it basically evolves. For example, I, I, am, I have strong opinions about banter, but I don't really care about the order in which we play the songs. So I, those are battles that I just don't pick. Whereas Claude and I really care about the order we play songs in. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that'll be a thing we'll talk about. Yeah. A lot. So then for me, I just sort of check out of that decision-making process and let them handle it, trusting that the group will come up with the best outcome. Committees. Yeah. Little committees, <laughs> committees. take care of. Yeah, we have subcommittees to take care of different yeah. aspects of the show. Yeah, it's kind of like a chat room where you, you see people appearing in and like disappearing, you know, it's basically like a chat room. To use a dated metaphor. <laughs> Scotty has left the conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. It, was there any, I guess, Claude, this is mostly you. Was there any decision to consciously split the album into, you know, more electro, more like there's like a song on there that it's like, it's like Portishead. Then there's another one that's sort of kraut rocky. Like it, you're sort of all over the place on that guy within an electronic realm. And then the second one is more of a sort of like a throwback. Like, was, was there a real decision that love will exist in these two different eras? 
Yeah, was, there was. Did love was, change after sure. World War II? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> I'm waiting for World War III. That'll decide it all. You hear? You heard it here first. <laughs> uh, yeah, for the for record, sure. Riley did actually spew his drink uh, when Claude said that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What What ended up happening is. One has to be careful when they sample, and I did a lot of sampling for for those who hate human interaction. Again, trying to find that big orchestral, loud, huge sound, and that was the only way I could do it, again, without spending money on an orchestra. And uh, when it came to love question mark, uh, I I go, okay, now I have to do these sounds by myself, Uh, try to figure out with my keyboard and my programs, what sounds can I create without sampling? So basically that's how the electro side came out. I was, okay, I have a synthesizer sounds that I can use and create a whole album around that. And, uh, and then, but for the retro side, I, it it was a mixture of both, which Mm -hmm. again, I, I like creating that sound. So, if you've seen Claude's um, paintings, Claude began his artistic career as a as a portrait painter and abstract artist, so like literally paint on canvas. And I find that that Claude paints on a very big canvas, like li- literally and figuratively. <laughs> you you usually have these four foot by four foot giant things on the wall, right? And uh, so you so you start with a million dollar production, and then you pare down from there. Yeah. So in this case, you know, you start with pretending that you have an orchestra at your disposal and then work backwards to what can actually be achieved as opposed to just limiting yourself from the beginning. That's very nicely put. Well said. Yeah. Scott, well said. <laughs> All right. Let's, um, let's talk about humor in your music. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. Uh, let's do because, that. you know, you guys played earlier. Um, I had to excuse myself into mostly the confines of my fridge to laugh at some of the parts that I was listening to, <laughs> um, because I think it was the first time that like I'd really heard the lyrics all the way through. And like uh, when I was listening to the album, like I'll get to the end of like a long sentence by somebody, and I'll just be like, "I think that was a joke." And then you go back and you listen to it, like, "Oh my god, that was a dirty joke!" Like, I, <laughs> um, but it it it's all. You guys avoid sort of the kitschy uh, throwback by making everything sort of modern. Like, how do you? What's the- <laughs> you? Did, you just defined it. You defined <laughs> it. That's. I think that's for me. Was it perplexed? Pardon me. Was it perplexion after trying to define you? Is that is that what is your definition? <laughs> Everything's backwards in this band, right? So I don't think you, our band yeah. would work if we didn't have these sort of off the wall lyrics because we we tend to be theatrical. Sometime kitschy up on stage doing our, you know. If if we did everything that we do with straight faces, people would think we were a bunch of lunatics. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, because we're crazy, right? And yeah. so I feel like we need to just yeah, make, I and also that. like, or we just that. scare the shit out of everyone. We need to, <laughs> yeah. we need to be like, you guys, that was a joke. That one was a joke there. Yeah. yeah. So lyrically. Did you say ejaculate? <laughs> lyrically, that helps. <laughs> Menstruation, ejaculation. How do you sing that? I mean. Deadpan. Sometimes we do sing a deadpan. People are like, what? Yeah. what are they? Well, I think that, that to insert humor <laughs> is to, it, 
we're a very listener-centered experience. And uh, I, I think to insert humor is to activate the listener's intelligence. And to do that is to pay them a compliment. And I think people appreciate that compliment when they hear and particularly see the performance. You're so articulate. Oh my God. <laughs> God. <laughs> Boy, play ball. Unbuilt wall. Man, Tarzan, accelerate, fan, operate car. say this when i was listening to the love question mark uh it reminded me most of like early uh mothers of invention or frank zappa albums where it's just sort of like there is clever wordplay but also we're just really good at our instruments and it's a bizarre combination because you never there's there's like just a tiny little sect of people who are able to do that and like is that something that you've got in mind when you're writing these things? Is it something when you're trying to bring on stage that you know that you've got to, like, your musicality has to match the humor or else something's going to be out of proportion? Like, how do you, how do you write around that? 
Because most people, <laughs> when they write, it's all just so... I'm pretty gloomy because somebody left me because I'm never right. going to be with anybody else. Yeah. Because it's, it's not that at all. It's like you're playful. You you sort of play with the human condition a lot. Like it's just, how does that come about? Does it matter how it came about? Because <laughs> you just explained perfectly a, what we do. <laughs> yeah. And that's all that Stop needs to be said, really. <laughs> yeah. You know what I think? Uh, I think what, what it, with Claude as a lyricist, um, he's just kind of naturally a very brilliant, prolific songwriter. You know, he's never at a loss for words. He's very good at, at articulating himself. And so with him writing the lyrics, they're coming out clever. And the way we record them, I think as vocalists, we also have very high standards as vocalists. And so we're trying to bring our A game to the vocal delivery we're, and to meet, you know, to match up his A game that he brought to the lyric writing. And I think a really good example of that is the character work that comes through in a track like 202 Love Washington, D.C., where the girls, uh, the female singers led by Dee Dee play Washington, D.C. call girls and, and prostitutes. And so there's there's humor written into that right away um, just by the fact of putting it into a song. And then so there is a sort of building on what Claude's already come up with that can only be done by a Becky or a Dee Dee or an Olex where... Um, yeah, they they work with the foundation of what he's given them too, so it it becomes that like telephone. You know, you know when you're around like the table and your kids and you're playing telephone. There's a bit of that that accumulation of humor as well, for sure. Yeah, times nine. Yeah, levels, right? <laughs> so yeah. Do you ever have to read into it like this should be deadpan, this should be over the top? Like, does that how does that reflect itself when you guys are sort of arranging it for stage? Like, how do you how do you make sure that like a moment lands with lyrics, but also the music still keeping up? I feel like Claude does have a lot to say on on that level. I, you know, like when I've been in the studio with Claude and he's given me a line and I read it and I I mean, naturally, you know, it'll either make me laugh or or I'll be taken aback by the the harsh honesty of it all, you know? And so, yeah, I'll, I'll usually like consult with Claude and be like, is you meant, this is a joke, right? <laughs> he's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so he, he kind of knows what he wants. Like when we go in, I do a vocal take. Yeah. I feel like if I do something completely wrong or if I miss an opportunity, you'll stop me and go, hey, look, if you sing it like this, it'll be hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you don't do that, it'll be more emotionally impactful. And then I'll look back and read it and go, oh yeah, I completely missed that. Yeah, and the singers bring, bring in their own talent too, their own interpretation. And I'm always open to, to how they interpret uh, what they read. And s- I think a good example of that, just because I'm the example guy. We right need now, an example. <laughs> is this, uh, this song called For Those Who Hate Carnage, which was worked into Love Plus Hate, which is the theater piece that we created around the love songs and the hate songs. Um, and our director was working with us Coincidentally, we were working in the arts court, the old what used to be the old courtroom in the city, like a hundred years ago, kind of thing. And the the song, the lyrics of the song, um, read like this laundry list of um, like ancient Egyptian gods and Greek gods, and and also terrible um, human disasters like Nagasaki and Hiroshima and these things. And so um, our director was saying, use use that courtroom sort of like. Uh, cross-examination accusatory tone as you sing this song and and the end result became that you know we we look back to religion and all these um all these like yeah religious deities as as um 
responsible somehow for the carnage in the world. And that's like, that's how the song gets interpreted live in this really unexpected kind of way. It was really, yeah, and yeah. being in that courtroom when she said, like, you know, because you're right outside the gallows where they used to hang people and we're in this courtroom and she's like, this right where you're standing is where some people were sentenced to death. And yeah. it's just like, holy shit, yeah. you know? So, <laughs> shit. so do it. Act so yeah, like and that, so that really sobering song. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, and then yeah. we juxtapose it. Uh, you know, the 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 album version is sort of this baroque, slow. No, well, it, it's it's me. It's a uh, it's ethereal. It's very yeah. very understated. So, but for the live version, we add a little funk beat to it. Yeah, but we, but it, but again, we juxtapose it right, and that exactly. juxtapositions found at all. All levels of what we do. So the, if the visual delivery you'd notice, so the, the band is playing a really funky beat. We're singing these lyrics about like absolute horror and... And marching like an army. And we're marching like an army as we're singing them. But at the same time, the guys in the back are totally grooving on like this really funky... Yeah. So basically you're you're engaging the audience. Okay, this is cool. This, we're, this we're is cool. It, yeah. And then you hear what we're saying and they go, oh. And then we slap them in the face a the bit f- with the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> And slapping is coincidentally the theme of our next video coming out. So really, we're actually going to be like slapping with various comedic objects. That's the plan. Don't give it well, away, Scott. I- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can we go through? Um, I think my favorite song on the album was the one that you guys did a music video for uh, where uh, I think it. It's the last song on the electro side of it. Uh, I'll love you forever love and me forever. love me forever, but not and ever. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about that one because it is a little bit of a stylistic divergence from the rest of the album in that it is, uh, it's one of those things that I love where it's just sort of uh, like there are only chords when you need chords. There's only a drum beat yeah. when you need drum beat. Can you take us through sort of how you wrote that piece and then maybe we can expand that out into how you guys adapted it. Like, let's let's start with the germ of uh, Love Me Forever. Sure. Well, both the, both the electro side and the retro side end with uh, the lyric, love me forever, if not forever, then till the end. Or till whenever. Or till whenever, whatever. I wrote the lyrics, but I don't remember. <laughs> whenever, and, whenever. Uh, <laughs> So just that simple phrase I wanted to incorporate into the last song on the electro side. And again, wow, what a let's let's experiment here. You know, let's have fun. Um, so you have the beat, then you add all these different instruments. Uh, Didi comes in and does a great vocal. Um, yeah, so very sparse, <laughs> like you say, like very economical. It, it was all about atmosphere, right? It's sort of is is love. Does love always make you feel safe and make give you this sense of peace? Or does love sometimes make you frightened, anxious? So I wanted to capture the anxiousness with that song. Mm. This so, song, it, yeah, it's got, well, it sounds like someone's being brutally murdered in the background. Yeah, a bit. yeah, yeah. Which is why we performed it with Power we Tools. We performed live. it with Power Tools. It was so awesome. Like, yeah. we stood there. There's, just, there's even I saw that show. It was so fun. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, people were like, "What is we standing there?" <laughs> I said the same thing, <laughs> but, but but also lyrically, I mean, I mean, there's a development there. Love me forever, um, until the end. 
you, you take two steps forward and then one step back, which I think sort of, um, you know, forever and then or maybe just till whenever, you know, you kind of you kind of take a step back from the the really strong statement of love. And that I think I, I don't know, I just think it represents the, the complexity of love that you don't necessarily see represented in love songs like these are 31 love songs, but there's no me and you. There's just sort of. This sort of an us and like a, a general, very general, macroscopic, from five thousand feet take on on what love is, yeah, and what it can become, and what it's been, and where it's going, and, what it and who's will doing be. it, and why. <laughs> uh, so let's take something like that and expand it outwards to like you guys performed it with Power Tools. How does that come about? Because it is sort of. Uh, and maybe you'll disagree with me on this, but it's sort of the redheaded child of the Zelm. Um, in that it's sort of like, whatever, I'm a ginger, I don't care. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it's not totally in the electro side, but it could never fit into the other side of it. Um, how, like, how did you know that that, uh, that song need to be there at that point? Can you expand a little bit more on that? Like, why is it the closing number? On yeah. Yeah. Well, again, you're describing. Uh, I don't need to answer. You just um, <laughs> because it was the redheaded stepchild. It was. It was. <laughs> where does it fit? It doesn't fit in the fun, dancey part of the beginning of the album, the middle of the album. Um, yeah, and there's no, you know, there's no ballad on the electro side. Yet this is sort of this uh, slower more spooky well, it's a, number. It's a scary song about love. And I think up until that point, most of the songs had been or very obvious takes on love, you know, like well, yeah. common, common forms of love. I feel like this form of love was kind of uncommon, creepy yeah. thing. That- and if you see the video, I mean, you, you've got Didi, Didi who, well, I guess I was going to compare her to the red, t- redheaded child of the band, but you can't really say <laughs> hair colors in the band because one minute Alexa's hair is purple and then it's yeah. pink and then it's green. So, um, so you've got Didi in this case in brilliant orange hair, um, like looking like she's trapped inside an oven with smoking, uh, with smoke coming out of it. So uh, it's a it's an it's an unsettling kind of take on it, and. Again, like we're paying, you're paying the listener a compliment. You're saying, okay, we we get that you get love, but what about this? Try this one on for size. You know, how, how do you like that? Like take that? that? Yeah, take Slap. that. So, all right, let's expand it out into Even how you more. make something. Let's let's take it. Let's pass the ball from you, yeah, to everybody else. How do you take that? Which is again, a, like a very sparse song. Like there's not a lot filling it out. No, uh, it's there's only sound where it needs to be. <laughs> How do you turn that into a nine-piece song? Well, we only performed it once, and that was at the Ottawa Fringe Festival. We we tried it. And like you said, sometimes we work a long time on a song in the band and then play it once, and we go, well, maybe that won't work next time. It's a good studio song. Yeah. So, yeah, that was our choice. I I I didn't feel like it was unsuccessful. I felt like it was very intimidating. I mean, when we arrange a song, we usually don't take any shortcuts and we'll we'll do everything to the max and we'll take risks and we'll put ourselves in really vulnerable places on stage in front of an audience. And I think that day, I think it it kind of it went over like 90 percent the way we had planned for it to go over, which I think is pretty good when you're incorporating non instruments into your show and using them as instruments. I feel like had we done it a couple more times, it might have been something that would have stayed in the show. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure it'll come back. 
Yeah. And that's <laughs> we don't do it for every show. We don't do it for every show. And that's that's just a curation thing. I mean, so, sometimes uh, everything is context dependent, right? So if we're getting booked for Picnic en Blanc, where people want nice, cool picnic music to, to eat to, we're not going to necessarily like uh, simulate cries of horror <laughs> with machine <laughs> like, guns, right? Like, um, <laughs> having said that, in the, the, you know, and there are other situations where it can be really challenging and appropriate to do that. Um, but I think part of what you were getting at is like, how, how does this, how does this come onto the stage? And that song in particular was interesting because, um, like to, to begin answering the question, some of it just begins with outright silliness, just goofing around and saying, Oh, this would be kind of funny. And then someone was like, no, 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 keep that, you know? That's how and everything then, yeah, begins in this band. That's how everything begins. It, it is like very much this like organized goofing around. Kind someone's of mm-hmm. being outrageous. Yeah. yeah. Someone said, Hey, let's get a chainsaw. I, I mean, with nine people in the room, all it takes is for one person to go, Hey, that's a good idea. Yeah. And it stays. Yeah. <laughs> so that's part of the beginning. And then in that song in particular, you're talking about, you know, sound only where sound is needed and chord changes are very much suggested. They're not imposed. And, and that one was neat because, um, you have to ask musicians to do something that's against their nature, which is to, to not play, to refrain from playing and to uh, really pick their moments very carefully. <laughs> Coming from a soloist background, that was a big challenge for me. <laughs> very well said, Scott. <laughs> I guess that sort of leads into something else I've, I, I wondered, because I saw you guys perform in my apartment. Again, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> uh, and you guys get half the take of the door. Uh, right. oh. <laughs> we're going to take uh, half the door, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, but is it fun to write and fun to play a peptide song? Is it fun? Wow. I, is huh. it fun? Because seems like a is it fun? Yeah. Hey. It's, it's fun, fun watching you guys. It's fun. <laughs> Even with a third I of the band. I feel like every here, honestly, fun. this band. I feel like every aspect of this band has been fun for me. I mean, there was there. Are, of course, there are moments when people have conflicting ideas, and you know, there's a little bit of friction or whatever. But I think for the most part, uh, our focus is to have fun and make sure yeah. the audience is having fun. We're a fun band. We don't take ourselves too seriously. I have a blast on stage. It's great. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> stage is so fun. We just can't really <laughs> express anymore how much fun we're having. <laughs> it sounds really like you're having a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Rehearsal is fun. Well, we do a lot of rehearsal. Yeah. Well, what's fun for me as a songwriter is that I get to express all these aspects of humanity that I dislike and then put it on stage where it is entertainment. We're all having a good time, but the message gets out there. So to me, it's very satisfying. So you're taking something that generally is not fun and making it fun and then the people who are out in the audience dancing maybe they'll shed a tear at the same time they're like having fun to a song is extremely dark and that is what the peptides are all about exactly (laughs) like and again example captain over here i mean we've we've got a song called i love you made in china right which is sort of like this yeah weird weird like flipped around love song and it's extremely catchy very catchy very fun pop right um but we if you listen to the verses it's really just the names of of um like polyvinyl chloride all these like chemicals and then on when we get to the stage version that that ups another level because olex is there singing with claude and wearing a a skirt that's made of pvc 
which is the exact material that we're we're questioning and talking about, right? So um, I find that fun. <laughs> Did we answer your question? That's fun. <laughs> yeah. I, but is it is it? Shut up. Is it fun? Like because you guys are sort of genre hopping a lot, and you guys are doing it all. I, and I have to applaud you on this. That it is all you guys genre hop while still like everything that you guys do is sort of authentically the peptides. Um, is it fun to sort of try and write things that are like multiple different, like they're almost, each song of yours is almost like a suite. Each song is almost like this part has to come in and then this part. And like just watching you guys earlier, like there are exacting times where people have to come in, come out. I didn't learn the claps properly. I apologize yeah, for that. Uh, <laughs> come come away from me. <laughs> Is it like is it fun to stretch yourself that thin and try to incorporate like that many different genres in, or is it? Do you ever find it taxing? No, no, no. It's not taxing. It's I imagine in every in every art form one does or every job one does, the, the, there's labor in it, right? So um, it's arduous to write a song, but I enjoy it very much, and. Since I've been doing that since I'm 11, I can't stay in one, one type of style. I have to entertain myself in in the process, right? So, um, definitely exploring jazz, blues, ballads, uh, hair soundtrack kind of songs. Uh, it's so it's so fun, yeah. And actually, one of the funnest part for me is when we were doing Vinyl Cafe because the band did get together and record some, some, what do you call it, jams? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, jams. jams yeah. And so I would, I would receive a jam and then, okay, now I have to write lyrics to that. Finally, I didn't have to write a melody or anything, you know. <laughs> Tables have turned. Right. <laughs> and I could just concentrate on the lyrics. And that was a blast. I had a yeah. great time doing that. And I, I think I think it's um, diversity is a huge part of like diversity is a part of the artistic offering, but it's also just a part of the group. Um, Olex has this very sometimes quite childlike folky voice. Becky very sultry. Dale very solely. Didi very like piercing and high and really direct. And Claude is very velvety. So like all of those vocal colors combine and also get featured in solo act like, solo context very very well and then also myself from a classical background one studied jazz guitar in mexico city you know andrew has like sort of a rocker kind of guy background and then you know we're all we're all very diverse musicians alex is very good um you know solid solid drummer with jazz sensibility but also rock sensibility so so when uh, we gender hop we usually have one person in the band that's a total pro on whatever gender we're gender <laughs> genre genre. Oh we my do, god, we do gender <laughs> hop too. Actually, <laughs> can I start that over? When we genre hop, <laughs> when we gender hop too. Freudian slip. Oh wow. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we usually have someone in the band who is a pro on that genre and that gender. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whatever you want. Exactly. We'll help you out. <laughs> Claude, when you're writing things, do you write for the voices of the other people in the band or do you write and expect them to interpret it in their own ways? I've done specifically songs for people. Not not that often, but um, for instance, we have uh, 202 Love Washington, D.C. And uh, I specifically said, okay, 
Didi. She's vavumish, voluptuous. She's got fabulous breasts and a great voice. And uh, I want to write her this like part, this like thing she can play both vocally and as a character. Why not a whore? But said in the most, you know, dignified way because sex workers are there to... Dee Dee is absolutely, without a doubt, the sexiest peptide. Right. She plays sexy well. And so, yeah, a yeah. super over-the-top song that is like totally right. about so that I wrote a needs song. to be delivered by yeah. someone like her. At first, she was, well, what am I going to sing as a prostitute? What? And now yeah, for she like, like 30 seconds, she was like, you want me to what? And then she was like, okay, I got this. <laughs> I got it. I got it. <laughs> and, and I think that there's a lot of musical offerings out there who who that that deal with similar themes this isn't the perfect example, but, you know, Britney Spears, I'm a slave for you, uh, talking about, you know, ev evoking like a woman being owned by presumably a more powerful man. Right. And I, I don't think that I think if you if you literally think Dee Dee is playing a whore, you're you're reading the song wrong. She's playing a whore only to only so that we can comment on the story that's being told to you. It's not that we believe these things. Yeah. Mom. Basically that song is about the hypocrisy in Washington where you have all these family value politicians that get caught in washrooms and with uh, prostitutes. And she's, she's the one sort of pointing it out in the song. Pardon me? <laughs> I said a little shout out to Monica Lewinsky. Right. <laughs> the, the Monica Lewinsky's of Washington. Well, actually, well, not it's, her. It's, it's the men. <laughs> or the president. The no, pimps, no, I know. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, like uh, Dee Dee's playing the Monica, right? Right. Right. Yeah. For the sake of argument. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's what it is. It's, it's the sake of argument. Tied up, hair comb, coffee in a cup, bright and early, out of luck, early, early, topsy turvy, totem, motor, and motel, purgatory, limbo, hell, treadmill, rice, marathon, pace, uphill, run, downhill, chase. Body, don't you lose the will, don't you lose the will to live. Gravity will love to me. 
permanently kill me Velocity will absolutely, positively kill me Gravity, velocity will instantly, eventually, generally, genuinely, practically kill me Gravity, velocity will doubtlessly, decidedly, surely, clearly, badly, swiftly, probably, rapidly, thoroughly, significantly, physically kill me Body, don't you lose the will, don't you lose the will to live Body, don't you lose the will, don't you lose the will to live all right, so uh, 2014, Love, Question Mark, came out. Uh, you guys mentioned you're working on a new EP. It's coming out soon. You've got some songs written, Claude, I'm assuming. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> what can we look forward to from you guys? Yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> so we're doing an EP, um, <laughs> which is shorter than an album. Yes. We- Six songs. Well, you know, but sometimes people don't, right? <laughs> um, he is less than L. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we're doing. We're just basically we sat down and we collectively chose our six favorite songs. Something that we thought um, was represented well in our live show that we wanted to record because, as we were talking about before, a lot of our studio recordings don't sound like the live performances they sound completely different so we were like what songs have evolved on the stage what songs sound so different from the original recordings that it would really be beneficial to do them again so to give people two of, different right? versions yeah yeah it is and uh and i don't know I, I i we had this design principle like becky was saying um i'll preface this by like a, a comment that we that i got from our sound guy when we were talking in toronto byron He's saying, you know, when you're mixing a room, guys, the bass isn't really an instrument. It's a feel. So in the same way, the design principle of this album is not it, it's it's not sounds so much as a feel. It's it, it's it's giving you a feeling. And the feeling is every every choice that we've made in the studio uh, has has revolved around this making the listener feel that they're at a live peptides concert which is a unique experience and i'm not just saying that because i have a biased opinion and you can look up great media sources who also say the same thing also you've never <laughs> seen the peptides live <laughs> I, I, i've never seen the peptides live it's no true. but as someone who has seen the peptides live you yeah. guys do put on a very unique experience right uh so what is important on a peptide sampler to make sure that you're accentuating spirit harmony energy Love, hate, revenge, sex, <laughs> religion, war, um, fun. I came up with a really great adjective to describe the opening track yesterday. You guys want to hear it? Yes. Pelvic. Sure. Pelvic. Oh, it is our God. most pelvic cool. release yet. You know what it is? Actually, I think the most important feature is that it's the magic that happens when all nine of us are together in a room doing stuff simultaneously. The other albums have been, you know, tracking. One person comes in. I do. I come and do my part. Didi comes in the next day and does harmonies with me. But I never really get that magic of standing next to Didi and being able to harmonize together in real time. And this album has been a lot more real time mm-hmm. magic. Yeah. Real Most time engineers magic. will recommend like a track by track process. But we actually, as a band, all were simultaneously in the basement at the same time. Yeah. Uh, playing together, um, yeah. That's that. Was yeah, our- and when we had our, we were listening to the tracks as a group. <clears throat> um, I was so excited for the future because this is the first time I'm hearing my compositions being done in a real studio, not in a, my fucking bedroom, man. 
you know? So it sounds great. It sounds lush. It sounds... But not to belittle the things that have come out of your bed. No, no, no. no. I'm just magic. saying it's a... <laughs> I whole you know how every recording's going to be the best recordings. <laughs> right. So um, in that in that sense, I'm, I'm really looking forward to recording as a group our next album of original material. Mm-hmm. Don't leave me in the bedroom alone, guys. Again, okay? <laughs> like yeah. we have 14. Awkward silence. All right. Uh, anything you guys want to plug? Anything coming up? What should we be looking out for? Those will be going up Thursday. Our uh, our Blues Fest show is coming up, which is our one of, one of our highlights for summer. But... I have to plug CS Art. Um, there's a really cool grassroots, really cool grassroots organization in Ottawa called CS Art, and you have to work with me on the metaphor here. Level one is um, farmers who sell vegetables in these weekly organic boxes, and the customers pay at the beginning of the season, and then they get a weekly delivery of vegetables. Sounds so, very hipster. very hipster. Yeah, sure. Um, so. We're like, well, if we can farm vegetables, why not farm art, right? So they're actually um, creating this community of subscribers, and these people are subscribing to a season, but it's a multidisciplinary art season, which is so oh. cool. Yeah, so we have uh, Ask the Peptides for Music, Thunk Theater for Theater, a ceramic artist who's doing pottery, who's collaborating with a poet, who's going to inscribe the poetry into these mugs and have a dinner. Um, all these different cool artists in town. I think it's the coolest idea I've heard of in a long time, and um, I think it's going to really go a long way to make this place more sustainable and less of a brain drain kind of city. And so I think it's really commendable, um, and I yeah. wish them the best. Yeah. And I'm so excited that we're we're the first. Uh, That's yeah. Really, yeah. yeah, really interesting, really yeah. intriguing. And for this show, we get to really put on whatever theatrical. We're calling it Oblivious Humans. Exactly. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. So basically, yeah, we're, we're, we're sort of on a re- resurgence of playing live, doing a lot of gigs. And so we have, you know, check out the peptides.com or Facebook for the shows we have in town. We have Irene's Pub coming up at the end of April. Um, yeah, we're, we're really into playing live. Yeah, trying stuff we've never done before, playing in places we've never played before, playing with bands we've never played with before. Yeah. All of it. Cool. Very cool. Cool, cool man. Rebecca, I know you have some things coming up on your own. I yeah yeah I've got some a couple shows lined up as well and a, an album coming out in the summer. Yeah. Should I launch into it? All right. Um, they told us they were tough questioners, guys. <laughs> oh no! Let me let me readjust. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the things we really like to do on this podcast is really get a sense of, are you guys actually artists or are you guys just like trying to pull the wool over our eyes? Um, And Ah. one of the ways that we do that, and probably the best way to discern if anyone is a real artist or not, is to ask them sort of, who do they appreciate more? Who do they sort of incorporate more into their daily life uh, from these two former frontmen of Genesis, Peter Gabriel or... Phil Collins and like which one do you prefer will really determine how well this podcast turns out okay so well well, yeah hold on okay here we go wait a minute one at a time first of all Phil Collins was the he was in the background for a long time Mm -hmm. he wasn't a front man he became a front man later right 
to use the drummer and then yeah. uh yeah but he he got a start in theater he loved musical theater phil collins yeah huh you would have thought it was peter with you his would. like flower what did he came out as a yes in uh, the lamb lies down on broadway and also his reverse mohawk and uh <laughs> no one at all is going to get any of these references hey listen uh, it's peter gabriel I mean, he's an artist for sure. And if you look at his subsequent work. Afro-Celt sound system. Uh, as a, yes. You know? Yeah. As a I solo artist. Um, so the three things about Phil Collins that really stand out to me are, well, my dad was like a huge Phil Collins fan when we were growing up. So there was a lot of that going on in the car, in the van, in the Dodge Caravan. There's a lot of <laughs> Phil Collins happening. And and I, I feel like there's just, it was just like the one thing that my dad and I just didn't quite see eye to eye on. I wasn't really feeling the phil collins i loved when he played steve winwood and i loved the tears for fears but the phil collins i just couldn't get in the bruce hornsby was great but the yeah, phil collins i just couldn't get into that Family and the thing and i couldn't pinpoint what it was as a kid what i hated so much about it that's a really strong word i'm sorry if i'm offending anyone right now but what i really didn't like is that and maybe this is because i'm a vocalist and i'm i'm touch like i'm picky about vocal production but his vocal tracks always sound like he's in a tin can Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. He's like far away, and it's like really metallic, like every recording. And I don't. I'm like, is he is he hiding something? Well, like sort of every Phil Collins song is sort of like things you could play on a MIDI keyboard like that. Like it's sort of all sort of it's two octaves at most. You sort of get the entire sense of the thing. Um, He'll play. He'll sing maybe three or four notes. I shouldn't be trying to taint you guys. Uh, Phil Collins, Peter Gabriel. What are you guys thinking? (laughs) I, I was we we all thought Peter Gabriel right off the bat his so album or that song he did about uh, Anne Sexton the poet Mercy Street oh Mercy Street right come on or that duet his he did with Sinead O'Connor you, do you have a preference while still being a sex symbol <laughs> right <laughs> while doing that too okay. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I like I like both of them uh, Phil Collins did a lot for 80s music and he was like the best-selling artist of the 80s and he did that while just putting his face on the cover of all of his albums and he doesn't have an attractive face he there's nothing about him that makes you there's nothing about his (laughs) face that makes you think oh i need to buy this this is an attractive man singing it's just sort of like phil collins he's like sort of like oh this is that guy that i saw down at the pub the other night i guess he released an album i don't know maybe i should check it out he was a smoke show in hook (laughs) <laughs> well, he knew the the yeah they they produced some good '80s album within the Phil Collins world. So I mean, he's not the this you know he's not that bad of a songwriter. I think he did great. Right, you, you know? know what? I feel like we beat up on Phil Collins. I know. I mean, I kind of like the guy. <laughs> I'll, tell, I'll say that. I mean, obviously, yeah. You know, he's successful. I think I will. We were overcompensating, trying to prove we're artists by going Peter, Peter. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it it gets back to what is pop. I guess. I mean, you know, pop is like the music of the people. It's popular music, and um, what I what I admire about, I think you you could argue this for both of them is that they did something with the art form, though. I mean, they they took the art form and took it to places where it wasn't before. And I admire that, and I, I I think we emulate that. Hey, 
And you know, yeah. Peter as a lyricist, he he does what the peptides does. He writes a lot of dark lyrics and puts it in pop format. Uh, you know, what was that song where the there's the train going around him? Uh, Sledgehammer. Yeah, exactly. So if you listen to the lyrics, it's not the people are getting tricked again. They're going, hey, this is a fun song, but no. It's another great way of doing that exact same sort of thing where it's like, yeah. they did Sledgehammer, they wrote it, and then they're like, can we go to Chicago and get like Motown to play on this? And then <laughs> yeah. they did, and it turns into like this huge thing. And the song is about like sort of everybody having kind of depraved sex elements into their life. Yeah. But then when you listen to it, you're just like, yeah, no, I'm the Sledgehammer. And you don't have any yeah. idea what that means, but you're like, oh, yeah, 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 I totally get that now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, you guys have made me.
guess we're perfectionists. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So is this how to get back to